0: And cause blind eyes to open Or make the lame walk again I do
1: Today's sermon is pre-recorded. The message today is entitled, The Scourge of Pride. The Scourge of Pride. Almighty God, would you unveil this in our hearts, that it could no longer stand between your heart and our heart. For you will only use a humble man or woman, not a raging man filled with pride. Come, Lord, today, awaken our hearts, show us, uncover our hearts, in the name of Jesus, amen. There is deep in the heart of the nature of man a hatred for God. There is a natural, inborn hatred for God. As long as we keep him as a pleasant Santa Claus, that hatred is not revealed. As long as we can participate in religion, the hatred is not revealed. The hatred is only revealed when the flaming passion of man's heart is blocked by the will of God, and then the hatred rises to the surface and is expressed in brutal rage against whomever would dare stand between them and what their heart wants. There is a hatred for God. And if you have not yet dealt with the hatred in your heart for God, you are what is called in scripture, asleep. Now for many years, I have been, and I have been known as a man who preaches repentance. When Jesus came, he came preaching repentance. When John the Baptist came, he came preaching repentance. When the apostles were sent out, Peter preached repent. The problem is no person is willing to repent until they've been awakened. And so much of what is given on the radio day by day flows over people, and there's no response because they're asleep. And what I am saying has not been sufficiently disturbing to counter the lust of their heart so they can remain asleep. Now, let's not make the mistake of thinking that conviction and awakeness are the same. A man can be wide awake and not be under any conviction. This hatred toward God begins to show up, however, as a man or woman, makes the decision to begin to wake up. And then as we're awake, the Holy Spirit has an opportunity to begin to come and bring conviction. Many years ago, a man said to me, after a sermon, Pastor, you need to repent. I said, what do I need to repent for? I repented once. I'm done with that. And I have to tell you, I had no clue what he was even talking about. I had said my little prayers. I repent for all my sins, Jesus. Please forgive me. That was the extent of my understanding of repentance. He was telling a man who was sound asleep to wake up. The bed is warm and comfortable. The room is cold if it's like at my house. Do you think I want my feet on a cold bathroom tile floor? Are you kidding me? I want to pull the covers up and catch a few more. A few more Zs. None of you do that, do you? And finally, the time is now. You have responsibilities. God is calling you to the prayer closet. You've been pushing away. Finally, it's time. Your your work schedule demands that you get up and shower and shave and do whatever you do. You've got to go. So you overcome that difficulty. Now, please hear what I'm saying to you. It is not with ease that we wake up spiritually. It is only with a determined effort. Else you will remain asleep and you will die in your sleep. It takes determined effort to wake up and begin to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart to cause you to do things that no normal person would possibly do. I mean, what normal person is going to repent? It's obviously the other person's fault. And if they would just straighten up their deal, if they would stop driving the way they're driving, how stupid can they be cutting me off? I obviously should be given the right-of-way. I mean, it just extends into every area of our life where we are entitled. You should treat me this way. Some of us should come with an instruction manual, print it out, and we should hand it to everybody we deal with (laughs) to tell them exactly how they're supposed to treat us because we're somebody So don't say this to me. I mean, George Mason University just sent out a letter to all of their student body announcing to them the phrases and things that should not be spoken on campus. For example, do not say we have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. You cannot say that on, on the campus. There are many things you can't say. Well, you need a manual. And some of you, it would be a very thick manual. Rules and regulations for speaking with you and how you're to be treated. And if you're not treated that way, you become prickly. In fact, you might just walk out. You might just disappear. And uh, obviously, right now you're thinking about the other person and how they should give up their manual. And so you'll write in your manual, you should give up all of your demands that I treat you a certain way. I should be able to say anything I want to you, but you should say only these kind things to me. this hatred in our hearts has to be put to death. And the hatred cannot be put to death until it is exposed. Be careful as you expose the hatred in another person's heart because they might brutalize you. Nobody likes the hatred of God to be exposed in their heart because we're beautiful people. Don't believe it? Ask us. But we have ignored in America this deep inbred hatred of God. And we have to come to terms with this. And to come to terms with it will will require an awakening. That's why the great revival of the past was called the Great Awakening, because people suddenly came to their senses and said, I hate God. I can't live this way anymore. Something has to change. Now please understand something. As we begin to awaken, God will begin to speak with us about one specific area of conviction. And if you blow God off on that one specific area of conviction, the conviction will dissipate and you will go right back to sleep. As you're beginning to awaken, the Holy Spirit will speak to you about a specific character, trait, or habit in your life. And as He speaks to you about that habit or that characteristic, if you don't ask the Lord to enlarge the conviction regarding that issue... Conviction will dissipate and be gone and you'll be in worse condition than when you were awakened and your sleep will only grow deeper. You see, it is a supernatural work of God to change us and to cleanse us and we have to go with what he puts his finger on in our heart. So if he puts his finger on feeling like others are not treating you the way they should, then focus your time and your attention on that issue and deal to the bottom of that issue. And as you deal to the bottom of that issue, the Holy Spirit will bring peace to your heart. He'll encourage you in the walk, and then he'll pick another area, and he'll say, okay, now let's deal with the way you lie. As one man, I believe Mark Twain said, find a man who says he doesn't lie and it's absolute proof he lies. God may put his finger on your lies. And you have to deal with the issue of being honest and stopping all lies to God and to others He may put his finger on lust, sexual lust. He may put his finger on lust for things, your love of money. I don't know what the Holy Spirit will come and put his finger on in your life, but as he puts his finger on that thing, he's trying to say to you, look, let's deal with this. You're awake. I'm convicting you. Now, deal with it. Submit it. How do you submit something to God? Well, when I was a little boy, my mama would say, give that to me. Mama, aren't you supposed to say the magic word? Smack! Give that to me. And if I give that thing to her, what have I done with it? I have submitted it to her. I'm no longer in charge of it. Submission simply means I have given that into the hand of God. As long as I think I can control my lust... It is still my lust. As long as I think I can control my temper, it's my temper. As long as I think I can control my tongue, it's my tongue, and I have a right to say whatever I want to say to you. Submission means giving into the hand of God or giving into the hand of the one who is in authority. Now this is when the hatred just explodes in our hearts. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to give that up. I want that. Car fever for a man is one of the worst but there are many different fevers that come to us. And these passions are aroused in our hearts, and the passion drives us. I've been, I've been with people as we walk through a store. Oh, I want that. Oh, I want that. And first thing you know, they walk out, and they've spent a lot of money. Did they want that when they went into the store? No. Stores basically trust impulse buying to drive the business. I've learned there's one simple way to not be driven by lust to buy. Don't go in the store. Malls are not entertainment for me. Malls are places where I go when I have to go and I escape as quickly as possible. It's not a recreation for me to go looking for stuff because I know myself. A passion will begin to build. I have to have that. The hatred of God is driven by passions. And these passions have to be submitted to God. They have to be given to Him, intentionally given to Him, or the passions will control us. Some of us have even worn passions right here on our shoulder. So if somebody says something we don't like, there's already a flame burning right there. It's like a flamethrower. They're dead. Got them. Those are passions. And they're like flames. And they destroy. They break. They burn. And God is calling us to submit those passions to <laughs> him. Now, what's all of this have to do with the scourge of pride? Because everything I'm talking about comes under the heading pride. Self-ownership. I'm going to have what I want to have. I'm going to go where I want to go. Don't tell me I'm not in charge of my life. back asleep, feasting on the wickedness of the entertainment of the day, feasting on the the sports and the television and the internet, feasting on that cell phone. I'm astonished how people everywhere I go have their face in their telephone. They're saying now that there's going to be a very serious problem. Soon, physically, everybody's going to have a turkey neck. That it's going to become just a part of everybody's life. Because they're like this all the time. <laughs> you know, some of us get to an age where we do our exercises We have to look at what our passions are. And those have to be submitted to Jesus Christ. Now, let me read some scripture for you. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, I'm going to begin in verse 8. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, I begin with verse 8. For at one time you used to be dar- darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You must walk like children of light. Why must you walk as children of light? Because if you don't, you'll go to sleep again and you'll walk as children of darkness. Notice verse 9, For the fruit of the Spirit is all is in all uprightness and righteousness or innocence and truth, proving what is well-pleasing to the Lord. And you must not participate with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather even expose them. Really, the things being done by them secretly are a disgrace even to speak of. Now, all the things being exposed by the light become visible, for everything becoming visible is light. For this reason, he says, wake up the one sleeping and arise out from among the dead ones and Christ will enlighten you or Christ will shine upon you. So it's wake up, get up. Don't live among the dead any longer. Don't walk with those who hate God. And Christ will shine on you. Then turn in the scripture to Romans, the 13th chapter, beginning with verse 11. Romans 13, beginning with verse 11. In fact, this, having known the time, that it is now high time to arouse us out from sleep For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is already over and the day has already come. Above all, may we disregard the deeds of darkness and may we put on the armor of light. As in the day, may we walk around properly, not carousing in darkness, not in promiscuity and immorality, not in strife and envy, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and do not create forethought for lust of the flesh. In other words, don't go to bed at night burning in your heart that you must possess this or that or that you must have this whatever it is. Don't be driven by passion. And then we come to the passage in the book of, of James. In James, the fourth chapter. Let me say one other thing. As long as your life is about you, you cannot be a Christian. A Christian's life is not about them, it's about serving others, it's about preferring others before yourself. It is not selfishly grasping for what I desire. chapter 4, verse 1, from where comes wars and fights among you? Is it not from this, out from your passions, are as soldiers making war in your members? So James is saying your passion marshals an army in your soul to go to war with another person or to accomplish what your heart believes you are entitled to have. He's saying, don't walk in those passions anymore. Submit them. Verse 2, you lust and have not, you murder and boil with anger. You know, there's nothing sadder than someone who is bitterly angry at another person because they will not give them what they want. And then the accusations begin to fly. If you really loved me, you would give me that. Look how you're treating me. I don't want to be friends with you anymore. If that's how you're going to treat me, I'm out of here. Have you ever heard any of these kinds of words? Have they ever flowed from your mouth? Then you're under the marshalling of the army of your passions to go to war, to force another person or place to give you what you demand you must have, and you are evidencing the bitter rage and hatred you have in your heart toward God. You can dress it up any way you want to dress it up. It's hatred toward God. You murder and boil with anger, and you are not able to obtain. You are quarrelsome and make war. Any of you quarrelsome today? If you just would, then I could. If you just behave, if you just wouldn't say that, if you wouldn't do that, then I could be a wonderful person. If you just treat me the way you're supposed to treat me, I could be wonderful. It's your fault I'm this way. you're quarrelsome, and you make war. You have not because you ask not. You ask and do not receive because you're wrongly asking that in your pleasure you may spend it freely. In other words, you're asking for stuff to spend on yourself. Now come two of the strongest words, And remember, he's speaking to his church. Adulterers, adulteresses, do you not know that the friendship of the world is enmity with reference to God? If you are demanding that you be treated in a certain way, if you are demanding that you have certain things if your attitude is arrogant and proud, you are not a friend of God. You can be very religious, but you are not a friend of God. Consequently, whoever may wish to be a friend of the world is made an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwelt in us desires us with jealousy? God wants you. But you want what you want. And the passion of the hour drives you to speak in harsh ways to others. to just withdraw and be gone, to be discouraged and depressed, have accusations in your heart. That's the hatred of God rising up in your spirit. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who wrote during the Second World War as he was in in the headship of the underground seminary in Germany, shortly before he was murdered by Hitler, he wrote a book, Life Together. And in the book he said, you can judge your relationship with Almighty God by examining the relationship you have with people. And I would add, especially people you're mad at. people you don't think you like because they won't give you what you want. They won't talk to you the way you want them to talk. So you've got an attitude and you're gonna be angry. You've got hatred of God in your heart. Notice. Therefore it says, verse six, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, you must be subject to God and must resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You must draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You must cleanse your hands, you sinners. You must purify your hearts, you double-minded. You must lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be changed to mourning and joy to heaviness. You must be humbled before the Lord, and He will exalt you. We would rather say, Lord, exalt me because I'm such a good person, because I deserve it. Look at all I've done, look at all I've given surely I should be treated better than this. How many husbands say to their wives, look at all I do for you. I go to work every day. I do all of this for you, and you're going to treat me this way? No, it's not just husbands and wives. It's look what I've done for you at work and you're going to treat me this way, you should be giving me a bonus. I've saved the company. You're living in the passion of your hatred of God when you feel that way. God hates grumbling. God hates complaining because they reflect a deep inborn hatred of God that is birthed out of an arrogant pride. That's why I call pride a scourge because connected to that pride is hatred for God. I want to be God. I want to be worshipped. I want my way. Such peace and such joy enters into the heart of a man or a woman or a couple that is willing to lay down all of their demands and all of their expectations. If you've been married for any time, you know that at some point in that marriage you had to make a decision to enjoy and laugh at the stupidity of your spouse. Can I just say it straight? Because every person who gets connected in marriage is going to think their spouse is kind of dumb because they don't do it their way. You know, if you just grow up, I don't think I was supposed to marry a child. We come to a place in our relationships, one with another, where we learn to enjoy our differences and laugh and speak lightly rather than becoming enraged and demanding and harsh of heart. when we begin to submit to God and we have dealt with that bitter anger in our heart toward God because there's only one thing that drives hatred, there's only one thing that drives war between two people, and that is hatred for God. It's pride. It's unbridled scourge of pride. As we begin to come to terms with that pride, as we allow our heart to be humbled before the Lord, the joy of the Lord begins to enter into our relationships with other people. When it's competition to see who can bless the other the most and not keep score, For our benefit, everything in the relationship shifts. I see a couple who can't get along. Why can't they get along? Because there's a deep hatred for God in their hearts. And it's showing up in the relationship. And it has to be dealt with. It has to be submitted to Almighty God. God could choose any marriage partner he would choose for you, one totally opposite of you. And in Jesus Christ, there would be total peace between you. And there would be just a rich enjoyment of the differences. I hope when the Lord brings me another wife, that he will bring me one like me. that I might be spared the examination to see whether there's any hatred of God in my heart. There's one more passage of Scripture I need to read for you, please. It's found in 1 Peter, the fifth chapter. I'll begin with verse five. It's five B that I really want to focus on. Likewise, younger men must be subject to the elders, all being subject to one another. You must put on humility because God sets himself against the proud but gives grace to the humble. Consequently, you must be humbled under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the right time, having cast all of your worry upon him because he cares for you. So don't go home this afternoon and cast all of your cares on your family. Don't go home this afternoon and cast your cares on your friends or on your enemies. Cast all your worry upon him because he cares for you. You must be sober. You must be alert. Your accuser. The devil is walking around as a roaring lion, seeking somebody that he may devour. You must set yourself against him, steadfast in the faith, knowing the same sufferings are being endured by your brotherhood in the world. Now the God of all grace, the one having called you into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, After having suffered a little while, he himself will restore you, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the glory and the power into the ages of the ages. Amen. Please understand, as we close this today, the suffering is the recognition of our hatred of God Our suffering is submitting to him and giving up the right to be in charge. Satan will come like a roaring lion to devour you, to try to force you to pick up the sword and go to war. The only place there is war in the Christian life is in the prayer closet and in walking among the ungodly. And there's war. Because their passions will come against us and try to drive us into their camp. And they'll be surprised when you don't leap with them into the dissipations of wickedness. Pride is a scourge that springs out of a deep hatred for God. Let's call it what it is. It's the fruit of hatred for God. And it has to be dealt with. And as it's dealt with, the Lord will lift us up and he'll establish us. Mighty God, you are the King and the Lord. And I just roll all of my burdens over to you and I ask that every fleck of hatred toward you would be fully exposed and taken from my heart. Lord, give to us humble hearts, hearts that will stay down low, and not rise up with arrogance, Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com.
2: God bless you. We love you.